This is episode 23 of the Rising Man podcast with Jetty Azuma. I love it when you call me Big Papa. Yeah. What's up, Rising Man community? I'm your host and creator of this show, Jetty Azuma. And thank you for coming back and tuning in again for the last, fourth, and final installment of our Father's Month special in June. It has been a really powerful month. I'll tell you guys, it's been amazing to see the response and the energy building in the Rising Man community just from having two episodes a week. So I decided that, and I'm announcing for the first time officially right now, we're going to continue to have two episodes a week. It's going to look a little different. You'll still get the interviews with all the amazing men that I've been attracting into my atmosphere in the past few months, but there's going to be a special Monday episode that happens each week. And... I won't tell you guys exactly what it's going to look like just yet. You'll have to stay tuned to find out, but you're going to continue getting hit on Mondays and Thursdays now with some rising man goodness. So thank you guys for sticking it out here in the month of June and continuing to support the podcast in the ways that you do. I personally have really gotten a lot out of exploring this theme of fatherhood in the month of June. Obviously having, you know, four interviews geared towards the theme of fatherhood has really ramped up my attention on that and just celebrated Father's Day with my son this past weekend and it was one of the best weekends of my life. So thank you to all the papas out there. Again, once again, I'll give one more special blast of Father's Day, Father's Month love to all the fathers out there, whether you have children or not, but the men who are stepping up to be fathers to themselves and to other men, other children in the world, I salute you. So before we get into this last episode of Father's Month, let me first mention that if you are not yet a member of the Rising Man Facebook group, where have you been? What have you been doing all this time? That's okay. We can rectify that. Go to facebook.com slash group slash the rising man. Make a request to join the group right now. And if you're already in the group, invite a brother. Don't be selfish. Don't don't keep the Rising Man Facebook group all to yourself, <laughs> okay? And I know since I started mentioning this, a lot of you guys have been hearing that call. So I'm going to continue to remind you guys, please, 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 if you're not a member already, please sign up. If you are a member, invite three brothers. Invite three men in your life that could benefit from hearing some of this conversation that we are having on the podcast and inside of the Facebook group. Thank you for doing that in advance. And if you are a man out there who's been listening to this podcast, whether it's the first time or it's the 23rd time you've heard this podcast and you're feeling like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to step up in my life. I'm ready to take the next leap forward so that I can finally have the life that everybody on this podcast has been talking about. If you've heard the episode with Preston and you want to start living a life that is bigger than anything you've ever imagined or if something you heard when Ta was talking about being yourself and really owning your message then what I want you to do is reach out do that first bold audacious step and send me a message on Facebook directly Jetty Azuma you can find me on Facebook it's easy or you can email me at jettyazuma at gmail.com hit me up because I want to know what's going on for you just tell me a little bit about what your what challenges you're facing. I challenge you to open up to me in that message and tell me what you are going through because guys, I genuinely want to know. I genuinely want to support you and help you figure out what is the next step in your life because a lot of times you're just just a couple of millimeters from the bullseye, 
but it feels like you're miles away from your destiny. So I want to help you guys figure out what's the next step. So Facebook Messenger, email jettyzoom at gmail.com, whichever one you want to do, you will definitely guaranteed 100% get a response from me. And I want to hear from you guys. So I guess the guest for this week doesn't need any introduction because it's me. I decided that on this last fourth and final episode of Father's Month specials, I wanted to use it as an opportunity to jump back behind the mic myself and share with you guys all some reflections about fatherhood that I've had ever since I became a dad. And so what I did in this episode is, uh, number one, I answered a lot of questions that I ask all the other guests on the show. I realized that some of the signature questions like, what's the difference between a boy and a man? And what's one thing you wish you knew when you were 18 years old? I've never answered them myself. So in this episode, I answer those questions. Uh, It's really cool. I hope you guys like the responses. I also reflected on five of my biggest realizations. Having been a father for almost three years now, what have been some of the biggest realizations for me in that process? And I answered some of the questions that men from the Rising Man Facebook group had. So there's also some of that good juice in there. So I'll leave it at that. Let you guys who are fathers out there, either fathers to be, fathers already, fathers in different capacities. I hope you enjoy this one. Without further ado, it's me, Jetty. Let me first say this. It feels good, really, really, really good to be standing here on the 23rd episode, looking all the way back to the first episode that I recorded where it was just me, to be back here on the mic having interviewed all of these amazing men. I guess if this is 23, 1, to 21 incredible men that I've interviewed up to this point, it's been a true honor. And I was inspired to get back in front of the microphone doing an episode that's just me again after having experienced being on the other side of these conversations and asking the questions and being in the seat of the student, of the learner, of the inquisitor, putting myself in the shoes of the listener. And I thought it would be really special, really powerful to top off Father's Month in the month of June by sharing some of my own realizations, reflections on fatherhood, and to answer some questions from some of you men. So I also wanted to take an opportunity to answer some of the questions that I always ask the men who come on this show, because you guys know if you've listened up to this point to any episode, I always start off by asking, what is the difference between a boy and a man? Which is still a question that I absolutely love. And so weighing in on that question and other questions that I typically ask my guests. So For those of you guys who don't know or haven't listened to an episode where I've mentioned being a father, I am a father to an amazing, almost three-year-old boy named Sitka. And being a father to Sitka specifically (laughs) and to a son in general has taught me so much. I say that the two most transformational experiences of my life where I've learned the most and grown the most as a human being have been as a husband and now a father. So being a father to such an adventurous and humorous and lighthearted spirit as Sitka has been truly a pleasure and a challenge (laughs) and just about every stop on the spectrum of emotions (laughs) for me. So I'll look forward to sharing some of those reflections and realizations with you guys. But let me start this off the way I start off with everybody. What is the difference between a boy and a man? I'll say this. I have agreed with 
so many of the responses I've gotten from the men on this question. The very first thing that comes up for me is that the difference between a boy and a man is responsibility. It's that a man is capable of and has the consciousness to take responsibility, not just for his own actions, but for everything in his universe. I think back to the episode that I had when I interviewed Adam Roa, and he was talking about taking responsibility even for the person who rear-ends you in traffic, which coincidentally happened to me about two weeks ago from this recording. (laughs) So I really have learned a lot about taking ownership of everything that happens in my life. It's still a big challenge for me. I still have a hard time taking responsibility for everything that occurs. But I have observed in myself and in some of the men that I respect the most that there's this quality in men where we're able to take responsibility for the things that seemingly are not our fault, are not in our control, because by taking ownership, it makes us both the problem and the solution. And when we can be the solution to our own problem, that's empowerment. So that quality of a man that I don't see in the boy, because to me, the boy just doesn't have that level of awareness. The boy still lives in that innocent world of possibility and doesn't want to, in fact, resists responsibility. In many ways, responsibility can be the death of the boy, especially the immature boy that's still living out fun and adventure and play. So responsibility is more of a man's quality to me. And a boy learns responsibility. It's not that a boy is completely irresponsible and then one day, poof, like a magic trick, he becomes a man and suddenly he's taking responsibility for everything. It's a process. And by being in that process, it's that stage that I like to call, in, it's in between boyhood and manhood. It's that becoming manhood. Some people might call it adolescence or something else. I, I, I once played around with adolescence as being adult lessons. It's when we're learning how to be an adult. But uh, needless to say, I think that that quality of responsibility is just not something that I would use to define a boy. And there's plenty of boys who demonstrate levels of responsibility. I see it. There's, it's, it's like those young guys that are teenagers that you're like, wow, really? You're 13 years old and you're taking all that responsibility on right now? That's pretty remarkable. And so I, I really resonate with that quality. And to me, the responsibility and the ownership makes it really simple. And there's something I would layer on top of that too. Just to nail this down, the difference between a boy and a man. A man is clear on his values. He's clear about what he values in his life and the values that he has in his life, whether you want to call it his code of honor, his code of conduct, his value system, whatever you want to call it, that serves as the compass that guides the man into all of his decisions, into all of his commitments. By holding that code of honor highly and being impeccable with his value set, He not only lives up to the man that he intends to be, he inspires other men and other people to live into a high standard and a high version of themselves. So I think a man is also someone who really is clear on the values that they have and takes ownership of them. And obviously my delineation between boy and man has been very heavily weighed towards the man side of it. I think the beautiful aspects of the boy that we get to appreciate are the ones that Tom McGee highlighted so well in that episode where he really dug into the innocence of the boy, the fun, the creative, the menacing nature of the boy who's getting all of the zest out of life before taking on all of this responsibility, before rooting himself into the ground and into the soil. 
And I love that. I love that nature because that's personally for me, that's one of my biggest edges is remembering to be playful and light and humorous and using that as a beautiful gift to complement the responsibility, accountability, integrity of the man. So when I ask the question, what's the difference between a boy and a man? It's almost a little bit like a setup because I'm hoping that (laughs) we as men can start to appreciate that we are always the boy and we're always the man. And the more important distinction is, are we expressing our boy in a healthy, effective way? Are we expressing our man and our masculine energy in a healthy and effective way? Or is there work to be done? And that's also a trick question. There's always work to be done. There's always more to be done. We're not, we're never finished products. There's a quote that I love. I can't remember who said it, but he says that the biggest mistake that humans make is thinking that we are finished products when we are only works in progress. (laughs) And I love that because it keeps it so simple. It takes a lot of the pressure off of being perfect, which is another one of my personal challenges is overcoming that sense of perfectionism and looking good. So really glad that I got a chance to answer that question myself. And it's been great to hear 21 men give their versions of a difference between a boy and a man. And if you've listened to all the episodes up till now, you'll see that there's been some common threads. There's been also some digressions from the norm. And I think that it's important to recognize that we all have a little bit of a different sense, a little bit of a different definition of what a boy and a man is. And something that John Somerville always says, who was one of the recent guests on the Father Special episodes, he always tells me that I don't like to define things. I like to just see it so that I I don't define a word like honor. I just point it out when I see it. There's a lot of power in that, too. Okay, so moving on. What I was really looking forward to sharing with all of you men out there, whether you are a father to your biological child or a father to stepchildren or a father to a younger sibling or a father to a younger man that you're not related to or a father to an older man, this idea of fathering transcends blood relationship between a father and a child. If you are any version of that father, I wanted to share with you some of the realizations I've had about fatherhood. And some of these are a little more relevant to the traditional father-son dynamic, but just I want want each of you guys who's listening right now just to pretend that there is a different definition of fathering that we can all embrace, especially as men, and the way that we support each other as men. Fathering is a verb that we all get to own. And that's a great topic that we can get into throughout this episode and in future episodes. What does fathering look like? But just just sit with that and just play with that. Just just open your mind to the possibility that being a father to someone is more than just being the half of the genetic material <laughs> that exists in that child. Let's just play with that for now. And as we as we go through some of these realizations. So in being a father to a biological child of mine for the past two and a half years, one of the most valuable realizations I've come to is the importance of slowing down for the teachable moments. Now, almost every child that I've come into contact with since realizing this has exhibited some of this request. It's it's almost it's not even like a verbal request. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's the child asking you for more time to slow down and be with them. Maybe you guys don't move as fast as I do, but uh, you know, I'm a I'm a dad who's working three jobs right now. <laughs> one of them being this podcast in order to provide for my family and build the career of my dreams. 
So I move very quickly. I'm also a fire sign. I'm a Leo. I'm born in the summertime. I'm all about heat. Hot, 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 hot. So I have a son who always asks me to slow down to meet him where he's at. And that's been a challenge for me in two and a half years. I'll tell you, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do is to slow down to the speed of my child so that I can be present with him. Because when he feels my presence, he feels my love. And when he feels my presence, he feels my values. And when he feels my presence, he feels masculine embodiment. And that's the goal that I have for my son. And so when I say slow down for the teachable moments, it's very easy to exchange slowing down to teach for hurrying up to control. (laughs) So an example of what this looks like is... um, Many times in the evening I come home from work and it's towards the end of the day when my son is getting hungry and my wife has been working all day too, so we're a little stressed out. We're trying to get dinner on the table quickly so we can get him in the bath, so we can get him in his PJs, so we can get him into bed and have a few minutes to ourselves and each other. And so we, we're, we're pushing him and we're moving him to hurry up and like, hey, get over here. And Even looking at our language, it becomes more about dictation. I need you to come here now. It's it's direction. It's telling him what we want him to do versus taking the time to be enrolling and saying, hey, here's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're getting ready to have dinner and here's why. Giving him some context because kids are smart and it goes beyond verbal too. You know, the first language is body language. That's what we all understand. A lot of the words that we say to children, it takes them years to fully comprehend the meaning behind it but they understand how we're showing up. So when I'm running around with like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to get things going, he feels that. He feels that energy from both myself and my wife. So when I slow down and I kind of just let time go, trust that it's all gonna happen, I see a shift in his body. I see him shift into a, a place where he can receive my love, my attention, my care for him. And it opens up opportunities for dialogue and discussion. like. Hey, so what do you think we prepare dinner? Let's give mommy a break. Would you would you help me with dinner? And he always wants to be helpful. That's part of who he is. And I think many children want to be helpful. So had I sped up and just ordered him around, I would miss the opportunity to teach him how to prepare dinner. And he loves doing that. He loves working in the yard with me and learning how to use the hedge clippers. And you can go ahead and judge me. Yes, I teach my son how to use hedge clippers. I've taught my son how to use a hatchet and chop wood. Yes, that's the, that's the kind of dad that I am. He knows how to be with fire. He, he was just tending the fire this weekend when we had our father-son camp out for Father's Day. So children are capable of so much more when we slow down for the teachable moments. And that naturally leads me into the next realization that I had. And this is one that's relevant for all areas of life, I think. It is not about me. (laughs) It is not. Any of you fathers out there, any of you parents, because I know some some women listening to the podcast, anybody out there who has a child, as soon as they're born, and from the moment that they're out and all of a sudden they're not eating food from inside the mom, they actually have needs and they need their their diaper cleaned and they need to be changed and washed and fed and burped and blah, 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 blah. You realize very soon that, oh, it's not about me anymore. All those times, all those moments where I was making it about myself, it's not about me. (laughs) In fact, if you try to make it about yourself, your child is going to scream their head off. (laughs) They're going to go ballistic because their needs are more important than yours at that moment. 
And I was 28 years old when my son was born. And I was in a stage of life where three years prior to that, I was a single bachelor on the road with a rugged Fu Manchu style goatee living out of a backpack. I was only three years removed from being that guy. So the learning curve for me was very quick. And we got married. We got pregnant three months after we got married. And nine months later, boom, I'm a father. And don't get me wrong. I was doing the work all along to prepare myself the best I could. But I still have had to learn how to not make it about myself. And one of the things that I see for me when I make it about myself, it's because I'm afraid that my needs are not going to be met, that somebody out there is not going to look out for me. And what that leads me to do is to take care of what I need for myself first. And the ironic thing is when we make it about other people and we're simply of service, we get these gestures of love and kindness and compassion back in return. For example, instead of ignoring my child when he's crying, when I sit with him and I give him a hug and I, and I make sure that he's seen and listened and heard, he rewards me consciously or unconsciously with a smile or a hug or he tells me he loves me or he just like changes his whole demeanor and lights up the room. Either way, that's a gift that comes right back to me. And it only comes when I choose not to make it about myself anymore. And to be honest with you guys, I want to see a world where parents are capable of not making it about themselves first. And don't get this confused with you shouldn't take care of your needs. I think that there's a way that I can take care of my needs and make sure my needs are met. And then I can make it so that it's not about me when I'm in the presence of my family. To me, that's real, genuine, integral service. Integral service as a husband, as a father, as a provider of a family. And so this idea of it's not about me meaning it's not just my life anymore. I'm living for more than just myself. I'm living for my family. I'm living to provide for my wife, for my son, for my future child, if I'm so blessed, for my parents when they need me, should they ever need me, and for my extended community. You know, this is, this is the way that I think. This is the kind of world that I want to see where we as individuals can learn and appreciate that it's not about us and we can learn to be more service-oriented and then have our needs met because of all the other people who are willing to take care of us in return, to show us love and kindness and compassion in return. It's a beautiful cycle versus all of us running to the corners to take care of our own needs by ourselves, which to me is very, makes me feel very alone. It's very lonely existence, taking care of yourself in the corner by yourself. So Slowing down for the teachable moments, number one. And number two, it's not about me. Two of my biggest realizations so far. Number three is actually a distinction. The distinction between rules and boundaries. <laughs> so uh, especially in the father-son dynamic, my son it might as well be out of the jungle book. You know, for a while, we even were like, he's just like Mowgli. He walks around barefoot. He loves to be naked in you know, sub-zero temperatures. I mean, the kid is like an anomaly in some ways. Um, and to raise a boy like that, to raise a wild boy, you kill the spirit of the wild boy by imposing rules on him. And it took me a while to learn this. This goes back to what I was saying before about slowing down for the teachable moments. When I've tried to impose rules or directions or dictations onto my son, the 100% response from him is resistance because he's resisting 
having rules imposed upon him when he's trying to explore and adventure and discover his world. Now, the contrast to the being that type of parent on the extreme end of the spectrum is, eh, go ahead, do whatever the hell you want. And the, you know, the line that I draw there is that it's, it's important to keep your child safe. You know, I'm not going to let my son walk. Yes, I let my son tend fire with me when I'm watching. And yes, I allow my son to use hedge clippers, not the motorized one yet, but like the manual ones that you use with your hands when we're watching him. But I'm not going to let him run and play in the street by himself. I mean, come on, that's just, that's just not smart. That's not, that's not keeping him safe. That's not being a provider and a protector of him. So the distinction between rules and boundaries, to me, rules are just shortcuts to get what I want. Boundaries are values that keep my son safe. So for the fathers out there, ask yourself this. Are you the type of father who creates rules out of convenience for you? Or do you set boundaries for your child out of safety and protection of them? I think this is a big one. I think this plays into the whole culture of being the satellite parents or not the satellite. What's the word that they use? They, they call them helicopter parents, being the helicopter parents. We don't we don't want to keep our children too safe because they, they will never go out in the world and take risks to smolder the spirit of the child who is willing to take risks at a young age because we want to keep them controlled is basically like death to me. It's like, it's like you're killing the spirit of this child, especially for me. I have a son who is very, very adventurous. He's not a massive risk taker, but he takes a lot of risks. And I would never want to squander that spirit that he has. And I also know my wife and I are both very keenly aware that we got to keep him safe because you know we got to keep him alive long enough for him to live into a life of greatness in whatever life that he chooses. So yes, rules and boundaries is a very, 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 very important distinction to have. So keep that one in mind and start asking yourself, where are you creating rules and where are you creating boundaries for your child? Number four, raising children is more about actions than words. And this is like a life lesson in general. It's just like everything else, right? Actions speak louder than words. You know, I love cliches because all of them are true. And, you know, maybe not 100%, but many of them are true. So when it comes to actions and words, children, again, going back to the language piece, they don't understand the words we're saying to them. It's like when I see people at the dog park screaming at their dog, like, sit down, give me that ball right now, put it in my hand. Dogs only understand about 12 words. That's all. The, that's the only capacity they have to understand. That's why commands are sit, lie down, roll over, heal. It's very simple. Children are the same way. Obviously, they learn a little faster and they're human, so they have a greater capacity for retaining and understanding verbal language. But early on, especially, they recognize the actions way more than they recognize the words. In fact, instinctually in their nervous system and in their, from their amygdala, their, their survival response, they are able to recognize stimulus in their environment faster than they're able to interpret language. It's what keeps them alive in the wild. If we were living in the bush, their ability to assess and identify a predator is much more valuable than what kind of berries that are living in the field right now. So raising children is all about demonstrating and modeling the behavior you want them to have. And this is really important to keep in mind when we are in a era where we're addicted to our phones. I'm just as guilty of it as everybody else out there, okay? Where it's very easy to get sucked into your phone, to get distracted by your computer, to not get up 
and not eat well. We, we got to model the behaviors that we want our children to have. We can't expect them to take on behaviors and commitments and actions that we don't do ourselves. So teaching your children, modeling behavior for children is so much more about taking strong, aligned, committed action than it is about telling them what to do and telling them what's right. That becomes a lot more relevant later on. And I think that it's important. That's important too. You know, putting words behind the actions is just as important, but we can't lose sight of actions being the most critical thing. So to review, slowing down for the teachable moments, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about the individual. It's about who I'm serving. Rules versus boundaries and raising children is more about actions than words. Those are the top four. The last one is the importance of passing on values. This plays right off of number four. Values are something that children witness, they observe. So if you're the type of man who's always on time, who always shakes hands with people, looks them in the eyes, treats them well, treats them with kindness and forgiveness and compassion and understanding, I can guarantee you that you're going to have a child who lives just like that. But if you're not living in alignment with the values that you try to speak to your child, you can guarantee that they're going to become whatever it is that they're seeing, whatever it is that they're witnessing or observing in their environment. And I can't yet speak on behalf of what it's like to raise a teenager because I know that the teenage years is part of the, the rebellious nature, you know, the, the clashing of the father and the son that is so archetypal. That stuff has to happen. And the only way that that clashing happens is by the younger man pushing up against the values of the older man. And so speaking from the context of fathering, it's so important to stand in one's values, in one's laurels as the father, as the one who is committed to passing on values to the younger man, even when it makes you unpopular, even when it makes your son dislike you, because it's not about having your son like you. I'm, I, I'm way more interested in having my son respect me than like me because I'm not his friend, okay? We have fun together, we have a good time, we laugh, we play, we, you know, we, we joke around with each other, but as he gets older, it's very clear that I'm his father. I'm the one who creates boundaries until he's prepared to create those for himself. And being a buddy with him, it doesn't serve him because he's gonna have plenty of people who come in and out of his life that can be his buddy. But there's very few men that are going to be as committed as I am to, to upholding values that will allow him to have a successful life. And so I think this is one of the most critical things that we get to do as men, not just for our biological kids, not just for our, our sons, but for all of the people in our atmosphere to see that we're the type of men who are committed to recognizing and identifying what our values are and stopping at no cost to uphold them. It's not about being perfect, but it is about staying committed to your values. We all screw up. I screw up. I'm just like every one of you guys. We're all human. It's in our DNA. Let's get that off of the table. But what an honorable man does when he screws up is he owns it and he recommits. Ownership, recommitment. Ownership, recommitment. Rinse and repeat. That's what, in my definition of an honorable man, that's what an honorable man does. And that's what I want to pass along as far as values and modeling values for my son. So thinking about the most important things that I've learned from being a father for two and a half years, 
I don't think there's anything more important on this list than passing on values and, and keeping my attention on the values that I want my son to learn by living those values myself. And it's a practice. It is not easy. I'll tell you that, guys. Anybody who is out there thinking that fatherhood is some joyride and that it's supposed to be easy or that life in general is supposed to be easy, just I hate to break it to you, but none of it is really easy. You know, maybe maybe it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it, but challenge is one of the greatest spices of life. Why would we want to wish away challenge, especially the challenges of being a father? It's one of the things that makes the job so great. Yes, it makes it frustrating at times, but I've found that the challenges that I've encountered as a husband, as a father, as a provider, etc., have made me a better man, especially because I refuse to give up. So if you refuse to give up and get up and get up and get up, no matter what, every time you fall down, then the challenges just become that which make you stronger instead of that which makes things harder. That's an important distinction. Try to flip that one around. Try to flip the tortilla on that one, okay? All right, so those are my biggest realizations on fatherhood. I also put up in the Rising Man Facebook group this week that uh, if there were any questions that the men had about fatherhood, that I'd be happy to answer them. And I chose two. So the first question is from Spencer Raymond Madden. What's up, my brother? Hope you're listening to this. And thank you for all the connection this week. It's been great to connect with you uh, offline. He said, I would like to know about if, when, and how you plan to take your son on a rite of passage. So great question, Spencer. I really love this. And it tells me a lot about who you are. So I look forward to connecting more. First, for those of you guys who may not be familiar with the term rite of passage, a rite of passage is a ritual, an event, a moment, a a planned celebration of passing from one stage, phase, moment in life into another. And the traditional rites of passage occur all over the world in virtually every culture from uh, boy to man and from girl to woman. Now, in the rites of passage community, it's widely accepted that girls have a biological rite of passage. When when a girl has her first menses or her first period, that is typically what declares that she's a woman because now she's able to bear children and women are typically associated with being able to bear children. So as boys, we don't have that same clear delineation. And a lot of people, myself included, believe that the lack of rites of passage in our modern culture and most first world country, cultures has caused boys and men to fall, to, to fall off the wayside, to, to be led astray from the path into manhood and masculinity. So if, when, and how do I plan to do that for my son? What I haven't talked about much yet is that I have been a part of rites of passage work in my adult life, mostly in the past five years, in supporting other men going out on rites of passage, uh, primarily Vision Quest, and going out on Vision Quest rite of passage myself. And a Vision Quest is, in the way that I've practiced, derived from the Lakota practice of Vision Quest, is going out into the wilderness by yourself and fasting for four days and four nights. And one of the most transformative experiences I've ever had in my life. In fact, I'll probably share that story in some respects on a future podcast episode. But just to speak to Spencer's question, I do plan to build rites of passage as a culture, as a tradition in my family, into the fabric of our, of our family culture. And that is, that is a strongly rooted value of mine. And, and it's one that both my wife and Carrie and I share. It's a big part of our lives, in fact. And one of the things I've learned in rites of passage work is that you cannot initiate your own son. 
So what that means is that I cannot lead my son on his own rite of passage. In fact, it's up to the uncles in his life to decide when he's ready to go on a vision quest, when he's ready to cross the threshold from boyhood into manhood. So the way I plan on doing that, actually, Spencer, is getting out of the way, (laughs) getting out of the way of being his father and trusting that his uncles, who are my best friends in the world, will recognize when that time is right for him and they'll take him up on the mountain and they'll hold base camp while he fasts for four days and four nights and prays for a vision for himself and and meditates on what his life is about that's that's what vision quest is all about and i look forward to that day in fact just i'm grateful for the question spencer because it gives me an opportunity to reflect on the future and the vision of the future that i have for him without getting too attached to it because he may reject it. He may not want to do that. And I have to be okay with that too. But I hope that answers your question, Spencer. Thank you for asking that one. The next question I chose was from Drew Drake. He said, for me, I am concerned with spending as much time as possible with the child from birth, yet needing to balance providing for the family. My perspective is that the father's touch, attention, and influence is as important as the mother's. The question, how do you balance spending time during the most influential time of their lives, the first seven years, with earning money and providing for them? Drew, this is a tremendous question. And I don't think that there is a formulaic, one-size-fits-all answer for any man. There are many different versions of what being a provider, what being a father, what being a husband looks like. And I'll start by saying that every man gets to decide what that is for himself. There are some very honorable men I know who are the ones who stay home and, and take care of the child for one reason or another. And with the right context, with the right vision, with the right set of values, it's very possible for a man to feel fulfilled in that role. What I find is that a lot of men are still connected to that part of our DNA that wants to be out there on the hunt. So for a man to stay at home and to rear the children and raise the children, though in modern times we as men are capable of it, I do believe that it crushes a, a part of that spirit, unless that is that man's calling. So... When you ask me how do you balance spending time during the most influential time of their lives with being a provider and earning money, for me, I'm very clear that one of the most important commitments in my life is to be a provider for my family. And that goes beyond just money. That's also providing safety. That's providing a vision. That's providing direction for where we're going. That's providing inspiration for us to keep moving forward, whether times are good or times are hard. And so... I think that that's really where my perspective lies is declaring that I'm a provider for my family and that that definition of being a provider is encompasses many things. I think that for me, because I don't spend all day with my son, he spends a lot more time with his mother. We both work, in fact, so he actually spends time with a nanny as well as a babysitter and his grandparents. He's very fortunate. We're very fortunate to have a lot of support. When I do spend time with him, I really focus on quality time because those moments he has with me, I'll remember when I remember when I was a kid, my, my dad, whom I love and whom I respect deeply, worked a lot. He still works a lot. <laughs> I think he actually works more now than he did when I was a kid. But, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time with my mom and I'll never I still have so many rich and robust memories of being with my dad. He used to take me golfing. He used to take me to football games. He used to practice all the sports that I was playing with me whenever he had a free moment. So 
I think that every man gets to decide what that balance is for himself, but also recognize that the times you have with your child, you get to make the most of them. So I'll say this to you, Drew, specifically, and to any other man who's in this question, you get to decide what the balance is for you. Don't let anybody else tell you what that is. In fact, I don't want to tell you what that is because I'd be robbing you of the opportunity to make that decision yourself. And so decide what that balance is. What type of father do you want to be for your son? And make sure that every moment you have with him, you're investing all of yourself into him in the best way you possibly can. So I hope that helps, Drew. That was a great question. Thanks for contributing that. So to to start rounding out this episode, if you guys noticed, I started doing some lightning questions with the fathers that I interviewed with Tom, with John Somerville, and with my dad, Jamie. So I'm going to do a little self-lightning round because, you know, it's my show and I can do what I want. <laughs> so what is one thing I was not prepared for when I became a father? I had heard about all of the lack of sleep that happens when you become a new parent. And I just wasn't prepared for it because you just can't be. I've never been that sleep deprived in my life. And I don't know if I ever will be again. Hopefully it only happens when I have children, but sleep deprivation is, it really is a form of torture and it makes it very challenging on the relationship that I have with my wife, challenging to be really present with my son all the time, to be present at work for my clients and my patients. And, uh, and just to be a present individual in the world in general. (laughs) And I would say that that was one thing I wasn't prepared for was just how challenging it can be to be sleep deprived and it's temporary, just like everything else. So any of you guys who are in it right now, or you're facing it, it's on the horizon, it's tough and you'll make it, (laughs) you'll make it. If you're committed, you'll make it. So hang in there. The greatest lesson I've learned in fatherhood. The greatest lesson I learned was passed along to me before I became a father. It was passed along to me by a a guy named Michael here in Santa Barbara. He was a guy that I was treating as a physical therapist. And he's a father of three boys. And he said to me, I think I actually, we didn't know we were having a boy, but I was feeling very strongly I was having a boy. And he said, you know what? The best piece of advice someone gave to me was, you're not going to be the world's first perfect parent. So give it up right now. He told me that. I think I think Carrie was maybe six months pregnant. He said, the kid's not even here yet, so just give up. You're not going to be the world's first perfect parent. Just give yourself a break. You know, do the best you can and don't try to be perfect. And it was amazing because it seems so simple, but especially for a guy like me who holds a high standard of excellence and who strives for quote unquote perfection, not perfection anymore. I strive for excellence and impeccability. But he nailed it right on the head for me (laughs) because uh, to try and be perfect as a parent, it just doesn't happen. And to judge yourself for losing your shit from time to time and for getting frustrated with your child, that's not helpful either. Just remember that you're human. You've got 26 chromosomes just like the rest of us and you you bleed real blood that's red, you know, so (laughs) give yourself a little bit of a break. That's, That's one of my biggest lessons in fatherhood. One piece of advice I'd give to all the fathers out there. Uh, Well, this is a very reflective, advice-heavy episode, but I would say that the one piece that I would give to all fathers out there is to always challenge your son, or I'll speak to sons, to always challenge your son to reach for the next level. In fact, I'll back up a second. There's a three-step process that I learned from John Somerville, and that is whether it's your biological son or just another man, any man, you can use this quality for any man. You celebrate and acknowledge first. 
Celebrator, acknowledge the win. Celebrator, acknowledge the behavior. Even if it's a breakdown, even if it's your son lost in the championship game, say, I really want to acknowledge you for how you performed out there on the field and for holding your head high at the end of the game. Or I want to acknowledge you for, for owning your emotions and letting your emotions fly if, the, if you know, your child is really upset about it. Whatever it is, celebrate and acknowledge first. The second step is what did you learn? Using that opportunity for them to reflect on what did you learn about this circumstance. This is really useful, especially when you start thinking about kids. Like I think about the first time that my kid goes out and drinks with his buddies and I say, okay, first of all, I want to celebrate you because you're, you were honest with us. You, you, you told us what was going on. You let us know we came and picked you up and, and you, you took care of yourself the way we've asked you to. Thank you for that. What did you learn about this experience? What did you learn? What did you learn from going and drinking? How does it feel? You know, and, and just holding space for them to declare what they learned. And then the third step is what's next? What's the next level? What's the next level for you? What, what do you, who do you want? What do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with this experience you just had? Because that challenges them to look to how can I build upon this? All right. I, I think this is one of the most brilliant, simple formulas for supporting anyone really, but especially father to son or man to man. This is a really valuable three steps. So celebrate and acknowledge number one. Number two, what did you learn? Number three, what's next is the one piece of advice I'd give to all the fathers out there, all the men out there. And what is one thing I've learned now in my life that I wish I knew when I was 18? (sighs) Well, when I was 18 years old, I wish that I knew that falling in love did not mean forever, (laughs) that you can fall in love with somebody and it can be for a season of life. Because every relationship I had in high school and college was basically marriage to me. (laughs) And I I got to date some uh, wonderful girls, wonderful women. And each one of them I treated like it was forever. And I I wish I knew that you could be in love with somebody and it doesn't have to be forever. Because I, I think that having that, I would have experienced a little less heartbreak. But at the same time, experiencing heartbreak let me know the full spectrum, the full range of what love really is. So I don't wish it away necessarily, but uh, that is something I would have liked to know when I was 18. I'd I'd go back and whisper that in my 18 year old self's ear, like, hey, don't worry about it, man. You're going to meet the love of your life someday and it's going to be great. (laughs) So, so that about wraps it up for this episode. It was a real honor to stand in front of the mic and share with you guys very authentically, very transparently about my experience as a father. I hope that you guys got some value and benefit from my experience. And it's just one experience. I don't hold anything that I said to be absolute truth or gospel, but it's my truth. It's what I've learned. And I hope that it supports some of you men out there, whether you're currently fathers, fathers to be, been fathers for a long time, to take a new perspective on what fatherhood can be. Because I believe that if we all own the role of being fathers, not just to our biological children, but to all children, that the next generation is going to be prepared to inherit the world that's coming to them. Because to be honest with you guys, it doesn't look pretty. You know, the forecast for the future doesn't look great based on what we see happening right now. And I am very optimistic and have a lot of faith and trust in this next generation of leaders that is coming up, that's emerging. Some of them are born and some of them are not yet born, but the kids who are coming into the world right now are very powerful. And what they need from us is to raise them in a way that prepares them for the world that they're inheriting. So ask yourself that question. How are you preparing your children or the children around you, nieces, nephews, sons, daughters, stepsons, stepdaughters, whatever it is, 
How are you preparing the children around you to be the leaders that we need tomorrow? Just sit with that a little bit. Sit with that question. That's a big one. And when you're ready for it, let me know what the response is. I love you guys. Take care. All righty. My, my, biggest, my biggest reflection post-episode is how great it was to be behind the mic again, just sharing some of my own reflections and insights that I've had over the years. I hope that you guys have found some value in the words that I said. And, and if you did, if you want to hear more from me, let me know because I really take the comments and the reviews and the reflections that you guys have to heart. I'm very clear that this podcast is not about me. It's about serving all of the men out there in the world who are who need a space where they can receive wisdom and exchange the wisdom that they have. So my commitment is to be that vehicle for the exchange of wisdom between men. So if this is helping you, if something I said, or if you guys like hearing my voice more, let me know because I'm more than happy to do that. <laughs> as well as continuing to bring the most extraordinary and powerful and wise men onto the show. So uh, if you're out there and you enjoyed that episode, Help me out by leaving a comment. Let me know what you thought. Uh, you can go check out the show notes for links and resources at therisingmanpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe on the app of your choice to the podcast. Leave a review. Screenshot it. Tag me. Send it to therisingmanpodcast at gmail.com. Special invitations are rolling out this week, the last week in June. I'm going to send them out to you guys. It's going to be a very special gathering of all the men who have been supporting the Rising Man podcast this far. In the first three months of our life, of, of life in the Rising Man podcast, there has been so much incredible support from a very special group of you men. And so I'm going to reward you for that and give you my thanks by this special opportunity that's coming. So if you've been supporting, if you've been inviting men into the Facebook group, if you've been commenting and sharing and et cetera, making the Rising Man movement grow, you're going to be getting an invitation from me uh, in one form or fashion. So Thank you to all of you guys and every single one of you, even if you've just liked or shared or commented on one of the episodes, I really appreciate it. It goes a long way. It gives me a lift every time I see what we're creating here, impacting someone and the words you guys have to say. So keep that coming. It fuels my fire and fans my flames. Thank you so much. Uh, as I always mention, if join the Rising Man Facebook community if you haven't already, facebook.com slash groups slash the Rising Man. And while you're at it, invite three brothers, invite three guys that would benefit from being in the Rising Man Facebook group. This is where we're continuing all the amazing conversations from the interviews, the insights we have from these conversations and bringing them to the forefront in our own lives. And also make sure you reach out to us on Instagram at the rising man pod and at Jetty Azuma. That's my personal Instagram account. Shout out to the man with the plan, Sean Offenbach over at infinite melodics. That's at infinite M E L O D I X on the Instagram. Sean is just an amazing audio wizard. He is the man who makes all these episodes happen in such beautiful fashion. Turns him out even when I send him episodes at the last minute. So Sean, I appreciate you, man, for everything you do. And if you guys are out there and you're inspired to start your own podcast, hit up Sean at Infinite Melodics and make sure you get him on your team. He will make things pop for you. I promise you that. Having all that said, to wrap up this episode, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.